Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer, my daily podcast with the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Boris Johnson is going to give a speech today, an audience of ambassadors and business leaders in London, where he is going to say that Britain's not going to accept the EU's rules as the price of a trade deal. So he said uh, that it's not a question of not a deal or no deal, but it's a relationship with, say, more like Canada's or Australia's that he's looking for. But certainly uh, we're not looking at a full regulatory uh, realignment with the EU and certainly not allowing European Court of Justice to have any say over what happens here. Well, let's talk to Shanga Singham. He's Chief Executive of Officer of Compter and a former trade advisor to the UK Trade Secretary and the United States Trade Representative. Good morning, Chishanka. Good morning. Good morning. Very well indeed. Well, we're constantly told, aren't we, that we don't have the expertise in trade negotiations here, but uh, we certainly do in you. You've been doing this uh, for probably far too long than you'd like to admit. Decades, I, I, I fear. Um, um, the 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 mood. The, the, I suppose the mood of the country has moved on from half the country celebrating, half the country at vigils. Apparently, last Friday over over us leaving the EU. Now it's about what sort of deal we have uh, in the future and what we start with on the first of January next year. Uh, after our transition period ends. Um, how confident are you that we will end up with a free trade deal that will allow us to uh, to move forward our economy? Yeah, um, I, I am actually relatively confident about this. I think what you're seeing now is a lot of skirmishing before we actually engage with the EU on a proper negotiation, which will start once their mandate is in place. And so that will probably be end of February, beginning of March. Um, now, it, it, uh, the reason why um, Boris Johnson is being so clear and so firm about this issue of regulatory alignment is that despite the fact that since July, um, since August, I guess, when he became prime minister, and he was very clear that we were going for a free trade agreement, rewrote the political declaration to be a form of a comprehensive trade agreement, um, and very clear that we are not going to align our regulations, it seems like... Um, both the European Commission and, and even business groups in the UK seem to be surprised by this. So what we cannot do is, is uh, dynamically align our regulation to European regulations that are constantly changing over which we have no control, uh, subject to the European Court of Justice. So clearly we cannot do that. That means that we must have some sort of regulatory recognition type arrangements. And we can have regulatory coordination and, um, and discussion with the Europeans, but we must be able to 
uh, promulgate our own our own regulatory system. I mean, the, the, there really isn't any point in, in us uh, leaving the EU in terms of the economic benefits if we do stick to the same regulations. And explain explain to us why they matter. And, and, and a lot of people are getting confused. I think over the weekend, reading a lot of tweets about how the you know the, the political directive uh, that was statement that was you know made as part of the Boris Brexit deal uh, talked about uh, having a level playing field yeah. as as we do with many other Western countries, um, but but that's very different from regulatory alignment. Can you explain how? Yes, exactly. So so what the Europeans will want with their, quote, level playing field. Now, let's remember, level playing field, it's not a term of art in trade uh, negotiations. It, it is something the Europeans have, have put, put out there. But what it means is that uh, they will not want UK companies to be benefiting from government subsidies uh, and therefore securing trade advantage that they are not able to to have because of their state aid rules and their anti-subsidy provisions. And that is fine. I don't think the the UK government has any intention of doing that. Uh, The difference between the EU on this point is that they would like, at least at the beginning of the negotiation, they would like us to be under their state aids disciplines administered by the European Court of Justice. And that clearly is not acceptable to the UK side. So the UK side will say, look, we'll we'll have our own anti-subsidy rules. We'll have our own state, state aid type set of disciplines and we will enforce those properly according to our law and we're quite happy to say we'll do that in an agreement but we're not going to put everything under your state aid rules and then with respect to labor and environment which are the other two areas of so-called level playing field uh, we, we are again happy to say that we will not lower our labor standards for to seek trade advantage we will not lower our environmental standards to seek trade advantage that's what the u.s negotiating mandate with the UK already says. So we know we're going to do that with the US anyway. Um, So that is what we're prepared to say. Again, what we're not going to do is to say we are going to lock our labour and environmental rules into the European uh, labour and environmental Mm -hmm. system. Um, But they should have no problem with that. If, in fact, what they're saying to us is that unless your regulations are identical to ours, you can't have market access, which would be very much an outlier position. No other serious trading nation takes that that, that approach. The only other uh, major trading nation that that does a similar sort of thing is China. So um, that would be very much an outlier position for the EU to take. And I think what what Boris Johnson will say is, look, we want to have a zero tariff, uh, no quantitative restrictions, comprehensive advanced free trade agreement. Here's what it looks like. Uh, but if you're going to be unreasonable and demand that we lock our regulatory system into yours in order to have that free trade agreement, then unfortunately, uh, that's simply not going to be possible for the UK. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Uh, right now, though, let's turn our attention back to Friday night. As much as I remember Friday night, I have to say, in my Union Jack dress, having a great fun in Parliament Square. I knew I was going to be out all evening, partying until the early hours of the morning. In which case, I thought, well, do you know what, I'm going to Sky Plus the BBC and the Sky coverage so I can uh, see uh, how it all looked in Parliament Square. Um, I have to say, I was gobsmack doesn't really do justice to how I felt when I looked at the BBC coverage uh, the next morning, uh, which extraordinarily was all from a set in the BBC studios, which was apparently decorated with the EU flag, blue and yellow. Uh, And most of the coverage seemed to focus on people who were utterly miserable holding these rather bizarre vigils around the country because they were so upset about us leaving the uh, European Union. And a lot of reporters uh, in the Parliament Square talking about the hundreds of people there, despite the fact that it looked probably more like around 40,000 people. Uh, 
uh, and also uh, managing to talk to people and even one BBC reporter pointing out to the people it was a very white crowd in some way implying that that was I don't know a bad thing a wrong thing um this of course came on top of the Nish Kumar I say comedian but Nish Kumar comedian uh, and his introduction to a a tweet from the CBBC the the uh, the children's arm of the BBC uh all about a sketch for horrible histories which was basically about how rubbish Britain is and now there really isn't anything British including it turns out tea sugar or cotton despite the fact I don't think there's a single person on the planet who thought that anyone thought those things were British let's talk about all this with uh, the Labour uh, former Transport Secretary and now Labour peer, Andrew Adonis, of course, one of our Ramonas in chief over the last few years. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Julia. Um, I have to say, we probably had a different experience on Friday night. I don't know what you ended up doing in the end. I, I was asleep at 11 o'clock. I went see. to bed early. Perfectly sensible way uh, of... A good, a good night's sleep never does anyone any harm. Absolutely. Um, I haven't had one of those I, I, for some I time. That was so, the most useful thing I could be doing at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, absolutely, as, in, as you're entitled to do. But you must have seen since some of this coverage, I mean, there's this tweet uh, with from Nish Kumar and CBBS uh, and, and also uh, the, the coverage from the BBC gave. Um, even as someone who has campaigned against Brexit, do you think that's appropriate? Well, I, I spend all my time looking forward, not backwards. As you know, we always talk on uh, your programme about the future. And, you know, I really couldn't give a fig what happened on Friday night, who said what to whom, how big the crowd was, all that. What matters now to the country and to everyone listening to this programme is what happens next. And uh, on that, I'm very clear. We wish Boris Johnson all the best because he's got the mother of all negotiations to conduct in the next 10 months. And uh, loads of people's jobs, their income, their livelihoods, their ability to travel their families, they all depend upon getting this right. And they do. And uh, does the, the maximum possible to maintain our trade and to keep us open, not closed. Yes, no, absolutely. In relation to Europe. No, Lord, no, no, I'm absolutely, I'm with you all the way. We, we've discussed this an awful lot on the show today, but I, but I do want to discuss the coverage because we are talking about our state broadcaster, uh, paid for by taxpayers, and which has been seen by many on the Brexit side uh, as having been very, very biased. And the appropriateness at a moment, which, yes, divides the nation, and no doubt at all that divides the nation. And certainly worthwhile to note that, yes, there is uh, there, there have been, you know, some some demonstrations some and some people who were upset and acknowledging that that point of view in the country. But I can think of no other event at all. Uh, and I can say, for instance, you know, if we had ever joined the Eurozone, they wouldn't have had loads of coverage of the vigils by people who didn't want us to join the Eurozone. This was, this was such extraordinarily biased coverage. Does that not raise questions about the BBC's impartiality? Well, I, I, as you know, I, I've, I've been a critic of the BBC from the other side. It, it was me that coined... Uh, the uh, label Brexit Broadcasting Corporation to describe the BBC. This is the same BBC that had Nigel Farage on question time for 35 on 35 occasions, acted as a platform and gave massive oxygen over the years to uh, Brexit, has question time audiences that, so far as I can tell, are always chosen to maximise the uh, uh, the raucous pro-Brexit contingency. I have to say, as someone I, who's I appeared on Question Time an awful lot... I would say completely opposite. Most of the times I've appeared on Question Time, I've been the only person who voted leave out of five panellists, despite representing 52% well, of the population. No, no, that's a, that's a simple matter of fact. No, no, Andrew, Andrew, it's been... Andrew, Andrew... Andrew, Andrew, maybe he's doing a good job. I don't no, know. no, no. This is that. That's this is where the argument gets nonsense. No, you, your your perception is different from on the question time. For instance, is different from the facts. There has been people have actually sat and gone through who all the who all the panelists I, are. I, I, I the bias is quite clearly on the Remain side. 
Julia, Nigel has been on 35 I times. Don't, that's a fact. But that's because he was the only person representing no. the Eurosceptic point of view most of the time. And no, he's been put on because they regarded, regarded him as good box office. Let's be clear what's been going on with the BBC. Mm. They've liked the fact that there's been this very strident uh, nationalist UKIP contingent going around waving the Union Jack and doing all that because it makes good box office. And they've been choosing the audiences for Question Time who will be, I mean, they, of course, they don't only choose people who are going to take that point of view, but they always have a big, very loud contingent of those who cheer this on. So well, hold on, no, that, they're back, supposed to. They're supposed I, I to represent the, the public. Yeah, I think a large part of the reason for Brexit was the BBC. I think the BBC helped to polarise the debate in the country, which gave huge oxygen to what was in fact a fringe party and made it seem mainstream. And that's part of the reason why we ended up with the referendum. Wait, so you, you, and the you think we've but all been radicalised by seeing Nigel Farage on Question Time? I, I do. Well, not just by <laughs> Question Time, but by the whole by the whole of the. Okay. Can I just ask you about one more thing? So that's, all, that's all the past, though, isn't it? The future now is to see that we maintain our trade, maintain our jobs. Yes, which we will. The country, and, and that's what we need. Okay, just one final now. thing. You just said, and, and I could feel the sort of the, the disdain in your voice when you talked about Union Jack waving. There was a lot of Union Jack waving. I wore a Union Jack dress on the stage of the Leave Means Leave rally uh, or, uh, and the celebration on Friday night. Why do so many people on the Remain side, who, who seem to love the Union, the European Union flag, why do you have such sort of disdain for people who want to wave their national flag? I don't, I don't have a disdain for it. If people want to wave the flag, that's fine. But it doesn't represent the, the mainstream majority in the country who don't go around waving flags. They don't go around waving the Union Jack. They don't go around waving the, uh, the European flag either. We've never historically been a great nation of flag wavers. We've seen our identity as far more complex than that, which is part of the reason why Britain has been such an open and tolerant country. And I hope, uh, to be frank, that that's the tradition we can maintain. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Well, the news today in the UK, dominated by that Streatham terror attack on the front page of every single newspaper after police shot dead at terrorist released just days earlier from prison. He was under surveillance from MI5, indeed by not just uh, uh, secret uh, officers, uh, undercover officers, but officers armed with uh, weapons uh, because he was thought to be such a threat. Sudesh Aman was wearing a fake suicide vest when he stole a 10-inch kitchen knife before uh, stabbing a man and a woman in Streatham. He was Known to be an extremist, he had uh, been jailed for just 14 months, supposed to serve three years and four, three years and four months. Uh, but he had possessed Islamic State recruitment material and manuals on uh, how to make bombs and how to stab people to kill them. He'd even encouraged his uh, then girlfriends uh, to stab and behead her parents. Uh, he was known to be a risk. Uh, and first up, Rory Stewart, former prisons minister, now standing as an independent candidate to be London mayor. Good morning to you, Rory. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, very uh, good to speak to you this morning. Um, absolute terrible terror attack. Thankfully, no one but the terrorist died, but it could have been an awful lot worse. But um, what are we going to do? What should we do about people like this being on our streets? You're a former prisons minister. Shouldn't he have still been in prison? I think this guy was clearly an enormous danger. And we owe a huge tribute to the uh, Metropolitan Police for acting so quickly and decisively when he pulled out that knife. But you're absolutely right. He should never have been in that position to be able to get his hands on that kitchen knife. The problem that the police face is that he was jailed by a judge for a particular offence, which carried a maximum sentence of, well, sorry, was given a sentence of three and a half years. So he would have come out, and this is about the separation between judges and other parts of society, at three and a half years anyway. The real question is, firstly, whether we can increase the maximum sentences, and secondly, what we can do with people in prison and when they leave to make sure that we keep people safe and try to turn them around. And it's very, very difficult to turn around as a terrorist. And I don't think we've got the approach right in prison, partly because we don't have enough specialists working on this. No, indeed. And there's a lot of talk about rehabilitation uh, in prisons, but we know very difficult to do with very uh, small resources and people often locked up for 23 hours a day, uh, lack of specialism. But there's also very little evidence that extremists like this uh, can be rehabilitated. We spoke to a counterterrorism expert, Kevin Hurley, a little bit earlier on, uh, and he was talking about uh, you know w what is going on, on behind bars. And we know there's been a massive cut in the number of prison officers now seeking to recruit more, but we've lost a lot of their expertise uh, 
a lot of that professionalism. We know prison funding uh, has uh, has been uh, uh, going down, and uh, and certainly the sort of funding levels we would need to provide the sort of number of prison places we would need to keep these people behind bars uh, is uh, is very expensive indeed. Now this government has promised ten thousand more prison places, but. Uh, there is, I think there are quite a lot of people who feel that, frankly, that's not going to touch the sides of, of what we do actually need. Well, Julia, you're absolutely right. There have been cuts. But the number of terrorist offenders is, thankfully at the moment, a very small number of the prison population. So you could put many, many more resources of specialist people. This isn't general prison officers. These are people who specialise in working with terrorists, both in the prisons and, most importantly, into the probation services so that we really have people working with terrorist defenders whose speciality and experience in life is dealing with them because they're very, very different to uh, robbers or burglars or sex offenders. You need to know an enormous amount about where they come from and you need to be very, very quick at identifying risks. Um, but the, the trouble is, of course, a lot of people will be saying, but especially when you're dealing with the side of probation, is why we are letting people out onto our streets who we know are a danger to us. A lot of these people have been convicted of offences, as in the case of Sudesh Aman, where they, they would appear to be the lower level offences. They haven't actually committed a crime. They haven't uh, haven't actually committed a violent offence at that point. They've they've shared manuals. They've talked about uh, and, and done WhatsApp messages about wanting to be a martyr. And the like, but they haven't actually gone and done it. Um, and thankfully, our, our, uh, our security services and our police are, are finding these people, identifying these people and, and arresting them and charging them early on. But that does mean often they have been convicted of lesser offences. But that doesn't mean they aren't capable of these, as we've seen, uh, these, these far worse offences in the case of, of not just uh, Sudesh Aman, but also Usman Khan, who, who killed two in the London Bridge attack just a couple of months ago. Um, do we not need to accept that even for these supposedly lesser offences, we need to be locking people away for you know, 10 plus years, not 18 months? Well, Julia, I think there's, um, you've got a important point there, which is, and this is true not just for terrorist offences, this is also true with uh, people who go on to commit rape and murder, that often somebody is imprisoned under the law for a smaller offence, and then when they come out of prison, they commit a much more horrifying offence. The judges have no choice. They have to work within the, the law. You get convicted and you get sentenced for the, for the crime that you've committed. That then means that we as a society, as a system, have to do much, much better at working out what we do when they come out, because they're going to come out... Well, well no, no, or we, can, or we can change the sentencing guidelines. And, and the, your, your former party... And if you haven't worked with them properly in prison and after prison, they're going to be a real danger to society. But your former party, the Conservatives, have been in power 10 years, a point I put to Rishi Sunak, uh, Cabinet Minister. Uh, at some point in those 10 years, this, this might have come up, because we've had a lot of terror attacks in this time. Yes. So I, I, I'm actually speaking to you from Stratton at the moment, and I think the first thing is that this is horrifying for what it means for the victims and for the whole surrounding community. And the government can do much, much better. But what it really needs to do is focused on the specialist resources, prison officers, probation officers, and of course the security service and the police, to have a really targeted intervention. This man that was shot uh, would have been under a multi-agency protection program. That means a huge number of government agencies would have been sitting around tables looking after him. They were worried enough about him for him to be followed by an armed surveillance team, a large armed surveillance team, and yet it got through. 
So it's about really going through these individual cases and working out how we catch these people earlier. You can, an offender like that, you can pick them up and you can put them back into custody if they break their license conditions. He will have been under very, very strict license conditions on where he can go and what he could do. But it's also very difficult for the officers on the ground to make those split-second decisions, working out when the person is about to pose a danger. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.